Good morning. It is so lovely to be able to share with you this morning. We're going to carry on our sermon series looking at how the resurrected Jesus meets people. And how as he meets them, he changes their perspective, he changes their minds, and he changes um, the direction of their lives. The fact that Jesus is alive really does change everything. And we're going to unpack that glorious truth a little this morning. If you have a Bible, it would be really lovely to have that with you as we look at this together. We're going to be in John's Gospel, chapter 21, verses 1 to 14, which has been read for us. Before we get into that, I want to begin by telling you a story. And we're going to go right back to June 2009. Um, I am about to go on a walk with, uh, with Heather. Heather and I met at Bible school. Uh, we've been getting to know each other for about four years. And we're going to go for this walk up Ingleborough. Ingleborough is a mountain in the Yorkshire Dales. Or if you are from somewhere where you have mountains, Ingleborough is a hill in the Yorkshire Dales. But either way, Heather and I are looking forward to this hike. We've done it before, so we know what to expect. And we're, and we're really looking forward to it. But I'm a little nervous. You see, in my pocket, there is a little box. And in the little box, there is a little ring. And in the little ring, there is a little, very little, little diamond. I'm going to propose. We get to the, the foot of Ingleborough, and as we, we look up, we realise that today is not a good day to go for a walk. There are clouds, are black, it's cold, and it's raining, and it's raining really hard. Did I mention it was June? I, uh, I, I know that they say that there's no such thing as bad weather, just inappropriate clothing, um, so let me rephrase that. The clothing that we were wearing was uh, in no way fit to handle rain like this. But I really want to go for a walk because I want to stop walking at some point and get down on one knee. So I say to Heather, let's go to the lakes. We enjoy walking in the Lake District. Let's see if there's better weather there. We head off to the lakes. But this turned out to be a foolish move. Frankly, if the weather isn't great in Ingleton, the chances of it being good in the Lake District is, is pretty slim. And as we got to Kendall, it became clear that, uh, that this was a foolish move. So now I'm feeling even more anxious and thinking on my feet. I think, let's go to Arnside. There's a really lovely walk at Arnside by the, the sea, by the estuary. Maybe we can try there. So we turn the car and we head towards Arnside. Heather, all this time, is, uh, is clearly just sitting and enjoying my company. Well, it turns out uh, that actually she, uh, she's got a good idea of what's coming and, and she's enjoying the awkwardness just about as much as I am. Nevertheless, we continue to Arnside. And mercifully, the, there's a break in the clouds and, uh, and the sun shines briefly and we go for a little walk uh, along, the, along the river and uh, towards the sea there. We're not gone too far when I, uh, I say something deeply profound and moving and poetic to Heather. Something on the lines of wanting to walk all of my walks with her and I get down on one knee. 
She says yes. So why do I tell this story to begin with? I'm telling this story because in many ways this story is very, very ordinary. There's nothing particularly unusual about going for a walk. There's nothing particularly unusual uh, about it raining in June. And there's nothing particularly unusual about having to change your plans. That's all very normal. But intermingled with all this normal activity is this life-changing stuff as well. See, having said yes to marrying me, Heather, a year later when we get married, moves from Canada to England. And I, though I'd been living at Cape and Ray, I, I kind of move properly out of the farm and we start up together. Truly life-changing stuff. And that is what we're going to look at a little bit today. How alongside the, the ordinary in life is the extraordinary. In the normal settings, something wonderful can happen. Interwoven and, and intermixed with the everyday comes the spectacular, the significant, the life-changing. We're going to look at our Bibles now. If you have your Bible open, maybe you can glance down to John chapter 21 with me. Let's look a little bit at the, the context. Let's set the framework for what we're going to look at. So that we have seven disciples um, and they're, they're all gathered together. And they're by the Sea of Galilee. So they've, they've been in Jerusalem earlier on in John's Gospel. They've uh, seen Jesus enter Jerusalem uh, as a humble king riding on a donkey. Then they've had one of their best friends betray him. They've seen him crucified and, uh, and spat at and mocked and jeered. They've fled. And they've also seen him buried. And incredibly, they've also met the resurrected Jesus. And now, they're by the Sea of Galilee, processing it all, wondering what it all means, perhaps, thinking, asking questions. There are seven of them in, in this account, and we know the names of five. You can see that in verse 2, we have... Simon Peter, we have Thomas and Nathaniel, and then we have James and John, the, the sons of Zebedee. And then we have two who are, who are not named. And we're just going to live in this passage for a few minutes um, this morning. So maybe, um, maybe this morning those two unnamed disciples can be you and I. We're just going to try and, and live in that boat for a little while and see what we can learn. Action really begins in verse 3. Let's read it. Verse 3. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. I, I do love this. This is Simon Peter all over. From all that we've read about him, this just fits his character. He has a big mouth, he's wholehearted and he's all in. And here he is, though there's only seven, he and six others... It's almost as if he stands up to announce what he's doing. <laughs> I'm going fishing, he tells them. But he's a leader of men. And they follow him. And they head out to fish. Now, there's nothing really too unusual about this. Simon, James and John are all fishermen when they meet Jesus. That's their trade. So there's nothing unusual about going out to fish. 
presumably they have families to feed and, 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 and maybe are hungry. And there's nothing unusual about them catching nothing either. In fact, just as an aside, throughout the Gospels, we never read of these fishermen, Simon, Andrew, James and John, catching any fish without Jesus. It's almost as if they can't even fish without him. The Lord is just making their dependency on him so clear and evident. And I think he does that in our lives. The more we journey with him, the more we realise that in everything we're dependent. We can't even fish without Jesus. And that keeps us close. It stops pride and, and it stops us being conceited and enables him to do deep work in our life. It's in verse 4 where Jesus enters our account. I want to notice four things uh, very briefly this morning about how Jesus uh, meets them and what Jesus does to see what we can learn from the passage and what's relevant for us today. First of all, let's notice that Jesus knows. Jesus knows. Verse 4. <clears throat> Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realise it was Jesus. He called out to them, Friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. This is incredible, isn't it? Here, the Lord Jesus, he already knows there's no fish in that boat. He already knows. And of course he knows. He knows because he's God. Let's just zoom out for a moment just to see the wonder of what we're seeing here. Jesus is God the Son. He's God eternal. He's always been and will always be. And he steps into this tiny planet, planet Earth, which he has created, which he sustains. And he steps in as a man. He becomes a man to redeem us, to save us, to rescue us. And he's lived a wonderful and perfect life and he's died this horrible death, been spat at and jeered and mocked by those he created. And he's triumphed over sin and hell and death. He's victorious over anything that evil can do or evil can throw at him. And as the risen Jesus uh, has, has, wants to reveal himself, he doesn't go to the, to the high priests. He doesn't go to Pontius Pilate or those who were jeering him, those who were mocking him. But he seeks out his friends. He wants to have breakfast with his disciples. He knows. He knows they don't have anything in the boat. He knows all things. He just wants a meal with his disciples. It's incredible that Jesus knows our circumstances. He knows that the only thing in that boat, well, there's certainly no fish. There are questions. There are perhaps regrets, there are puzzlements. I mean, imagine these men, they've given everything as it were to follow him and now they're wondering, what does the future look like? What, what, what happens now? The only thing in the boat are questions and puzzles and ponderings. But Jesus wants to have breakfast with his friends and he's not expecting them to bring anything. 
Jesus knows. Secondly, Jesus doesn't only know, but he provides. Jesus provides. It's right in the very point of the disciples' need that they meet Jesus. They've fished all night and they've caught nothing. They're, perhaps they're cold. They certainly would be tired and hungry. It's in the midst of all those questions. Imagine them, if we were in that boat with them and they're thinking, oh wow, maybe, maybe we have to go back to fishing, but we can't even catch any fish. It's right in the, this point of, of need that, that Jesus meets them. Let's see what he does. Verse 6. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net because of the large number of fish. Verse 9. When they landed, they saw a fire with burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. See, Jesus provides for them. He provides for them fish. I mean, miraculously, wonderfully, they go from no fish to nets full of fish. Now, this is hugely significant, of course. It's significant because uh, there's the immediate blessing that the fish provide. But there's more in it than that, isn't there? He, he, it's speaking into particularly Peter, where, as Jesus called him originally to be a fisher of men, it's speaking into his calling. The nets are full, but all the fish are provided by Jesus. The nets are not going to break. All the people who are coming in are going to be safe. There's, there's so much in there. But for this morning, we're just going to try and concentrate on this provision that Jesus provides. There's the fish. But in the account, Jesus doesn't need fish. He already has a fire going. And he already has fish and bread on it. So what else is he doing here? Well, he's not only providing fish, he's also providing some very tangible reminders for, for Simon Peter. There's three particular reminders, I think, that kind of jump out from the text. Firstly, there's the reminder of Peter's calling. Luke chapter 5, we can read about how Jesus meets with Simon and his brother Andrew and James and John. They fished all night and caught nothing. But then Jesus asked them to put out a little into the water and they, they get a miraculous catch of fish. And it's in that moment that, that Jesus um, becomes Lord in Peter's life. He recognises who he is and he begins to follow him. and He'll become a fisher of men. There's this, there's this really vivid illustration from Peter's past. The illustration almost is the sermon. Look at verse 7 to 9. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he'd taken it off, and jumped into the water. The other disciple followed with the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals and there were fish on it and some bread. Once again, I do love Peter. He, it's John who recognises that it's Jesus. It's John who sees first. John who's perceptive, but it's Peter who acts first. And he jumps overboard to see Jesus. It's the second reminder. 
It's not, the first, it's not the first time that Peter's jumped overboard in order to connect with Jesus. We know from 1 Corinthians 15 that when Jesus rose, he met with Peter and then the disciples. And it may be that in that encounter that Paul references in 1 Corinthians 15, that Peter and Jesus have had this reconciliation before the recommissioning that comes later on in this chapter. I wonder if you've had it where you've had a, a, a bit of tension with a friend or a relationship has a blockage of, of some shame and, and guilt and unforgiveness. And when that's cleared, when that is sorted out, then you're reminded of the beauty and the wonder of that friendship and you really just love to engage. And I wonder if Peter jumps out over the side of the boat just wanting to connect again with Jesus. He's been reminded of him walking on water. The third reminder comes from the fire. Um, Jesus has, 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 has built this fire so they can have the barbecue. He's looking after, he's providing for the disciples, providing warmth and friendship, fellowship, food. But he's providing a reminder for Peter. The last time in John's gospel, he was round a fire. He was betraying Jesus. So what are these reminders about? I think Jesus is reminding Peter that his life doesn't make sense without Jesus. It doesn't make sense. He, 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 he recognised who Jesus was when he was called. He started on this journey. He's seen and experienced the Lord in some wonderful ways. And even when he was letting Jesus down, Jesus, as he was being let down, was on his way to paying the price for Peter's sin. You see, these reminders are not specifically about Peter, they're about Jesus. It's all about him. It's all about Jesus. And he's providing, yes, he's providing fish. Yes, he's providing um, some powerful illustrations of, of what Peter's life is going to be like. But ultimately, Jesus is providing himself. He's providing his very life for Peter and the disciples. Jesus knows. Jesus provides. Thirdly, Jesus commands. Jesus commands. As we read these verses, there's a real tenderness and care in the way in which Jesus speaks to his friends, to his disciples, his followers. But alongside that and involved in that, there's very much a, a sense too of quiet authority. It's Jesus who is in charge. Notice how it is Jesus who gently commands his disciples. He's told them to throw their nets on the right hand side of the boat. Verse 10. <coughs> Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Once again, we see Peter's character very clearly, don't we? Not only has he told them he's going fishing, not only has he jumped out of the boat to get to the shore, now when Jesus says, bring some of the fish, Peter goes back into the boat and hauls the net ashore. He's just all in, isn't he? He's just a 100% a, a sort of man. 
But it is Jesus who's directing operations. It's Jesus who's giving out the invitation. It's Jesus who is in charge. In this ordinary scene of a few friends around a campfire, eating and sharing together, there is the extraordinary, there is the wonderful, there is the amazing, the God of heaven and earth, who's come on this rescue mission to earth to save people, is there eating with his friends. He's there alongside them and with them and sharing. He's the God who's in charge and he's eating fish with his friends. This is who Jesus is. He is God and he is in charge. And it's a wonderful comfort and uh, important truth to recognise that Jesus is Lord. He treats us very gently. He is merciful in so many ways. But he's in control. He knows the beginning from the end. He set this world in motion and he'll wrap things up. He is the one who commands. He's the one who's in charge. And folks, for us to uh, enjoy fellowship with Jesus, for us to really enjoy uh, all that he has and all that he is, to, to be partake and participant in his, in his life, obedience is so important. Obedience allows us uh, to, to, to really journey with him. Jesus knows. Jesus provides. Jesus commands. And third, uh, sorry, fourthly, maths was never my strong point. Fourthly and finally, Jesus serves. Look at this in verse 13 as we come to the end of our passage. They're eating and sharing together. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This is incredible, bearing in mind all that we've said, that Jesus knows all that's going on, that he has provided his, his, himself, his very life. He has done everything so that the, he can have this time with his disciples. He's got the fish, he's got the bread, he's started the fire, he's invited them in. He is the one who's in charge. And then it is he who is handing out the bread and the fish. He's serving his disciples out of his resources, out of his riches, out of his provision, out of all that is in him, he gives out to his friends, to his followers. And what do these seven disciples have to do to enjoy all that Jesus has? Well, it's very simple. They have to place out their hands and receive. They have to place out their hands and receive. Jesus has done everything. And to enjoy all of that, all that these seven fishermen have to do is accept the offer that Jesus has for them. One of my favourite psalms is Psalm uh, 23. And David writes this, and it's a lovely psalm about God 
uh, walking with his people about God's presence with us. And he says this in verse 5. He says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And it's a lovely, lovely image is this. David's saying that in the presence of enemies, when things are difficult, when circumstances are hard, when things are not straightforward, it's as if God prepares a table and everything's ready. And all he has to do is sit down. It talks of fellowship, of intimacy. Uh, anointed head uh, is, is, is a kind of treatment of an honoured guest. A cup overflowing just means we're not rushing. There's plenty here. We don't need to go anywhere. In the, present, in the midst of difficulties and, 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 and challenges... The Lord says, look what I've provided for you now. Let's spend time together. Jesus knows. Jesus provides. Jesus commands. And Jesus serves. In, uh, in this season that we're in, it's comforting to know that the Lord Jesus is the same yesterday today and forever whatever our reality today Jesus knows he knows our hurts and our confusion he knows our uncertainties about the future he knows our griefs griefs and he knows our joys Jesus knows and right in the midst of our need, right at the point of our need, he meets us and he provides all that we need. In fact, he gives us his very life. He didn't just die for us, but he rose again. The risen Jesus changes everything. And now he ascended into heaven. He comes to live within us by his spirit, to share his life with us. He provides us his very life. Even in this uncertain time, he's active, he's at work. He gives us his life. He gives us his hope. He gives us our future significance and purpose. Whatever um, he, he sends us to do. He can sort out our past. Not that we ignore it. Not that it vanishes, but he redeems. He provides. He not only provides, he commands. He's in charge. For those of us in Christ, there's no lone ranger. We're all under his rule. He's our general and he deploys us as he chooses. And obedience is a very important part of our walk with him. And he serves. He gives us everything in him. And we don't need to bring anything. We don't need to earn anything. We can't, we couldn't. We have to do perhaps what is hardest for, for men and women, boys and girls to do, and that is to receive without bringing anything to the table ourselves. I'm going to pray as we close. If, you are, uh, if you're interested in some of the things that we've been looking at, then um, please feel free to talk about it with uh, Christian friends. And if, if you've not yet decided to follow Jesus, 
then keep asking questions. Keep searching and seeking. Maybe you want to pray along with me now. Or maybe you want to, uh, to ask Christian friends more. Keep searching for Jesus. Really is worth it. Let me, uh, let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your unchanging nature. We thank you for your glorious resurrection uh, and, and how you have made a way. Father, I pray that you'll help us uh, to get to know you more. And Father, we uh, pray that um, we would uh, know more of your provision, more of your character, more of your grace in our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.